So, early on in our marriage, um, my wife and I were watching a, uh, a movie, I think it was Vanilla Sky, maybe with uh, Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz, something like that. Anyway, my wife noted about how Cameron Diaz is a nice looking, attractive, blonde woman. And, um, you know, so we were back, okay? Um, so you may not think Cameron Diaz that way anymore, but she was. So anyway, but by the way, you should know this, my wife is a brunette, my mom is a brunette, and even my high school girlfriend is a brunette. So my wife, in, in talking about this, she said, well, at least I don't have to worry about you being attracted to Cameron Diaz or some blonde girl. I mean, that you don't even like blondes, they're not your favorite. Okay. <laughs> Shut my mouth. <laughs> don't say anything. Or you say something encouraging to your wife. Instead, when my wife said, you don't even like blondes, the thing that came out of my mouth was, I never said that. <laughs> so to this day, my wife always brings up Cameron Diaz. It's like this thing, and anytime she wants to shame me, make me feel bad, she just brings up Cameron Diaz or asks me, oh, you don't really like Prentice. You don't like Lawrence. Oh. Um, yeah, so lots of, lots of dumb things. So I bring those up because when I think about those things, I feel this sense of shame, right? And you have things like that too in your life. Things you're like, how can I be so dumb? And what's wrong with me? Is what I feel. And uh, but sometimes it's not just about dumb stuff. Sometimes it's about like, seriously wrong things that we've done. Uh, Matt Chandler, a pastor in Texas, you've probably heard of him, some of you have, tells the following story. He tells it about how he was speaking at this conference near his own hometown, okay? And here's what Matt Chandler said. So when I was done preaching, I decided to hop in my car, drive 20 minutes to the town in which I grew up, and look at the houses that I remembered from back then. As I drove into town, I passed a field where I once got into a fist fight with a kid named Sean. It was not a fair fight, and I did some shady, dark things in that fight. Matter of fact, I completely humiliated him in front of a large crowd of people. Then I drove past my first house, and I thought of all the wicked things I had done in that house. I passed a friend's house, where once at a party I did some of the most shameful, horrific things I have ever done. Afterward, on the drive back to the conference, I was overwhelmed with shame for all the wickedness that I had done in that city prior to knowing Jesus. I could hear the whispers in my heart, you call yourself a man of God? You're going to really stand up in front of these guys and tell these to be men of God after all that you've done? I think we can relate to that, right? We all have these like, pictures in our heads, these certain memories that sort of haunt us. We know what it's like, we know what it's like to feel that shame. And something where we can be stopped and say, wait a second, am I calling myself a Christian? Like, really? You know, for me, you know, as a pastor, sometimes it's, it's my lack of courage, you know, to say the truthful thing. Maybe the thing is hard to hear that I need to say to someone. Or it's, you know, the petty jealousy I feel when I see the gifts and accomplishments of other people in ministry. Um, sometimes it's just, I yelled at my kids again. You know, and I just feel this sense of, gosh, this shame just kind of washes over me and I feel so disqualified. Like I don't have what it takes. And some of us, you know, experience that more intensely than others, but all of us, right, are affected by shame. So the question is, what do we do with our shame? So Jesus told a story about a guy who really blew it in his life. A guy who made tons of mistakes and often just 
when you add it all up, his, his life was riddled with pain. So we're in a series this semester called Encountering God. And so how will encountering God change this guy? And how can it change us? We're going to read a familiar story, but don't let the familiarity kind of lull you to sleep, okay? Read carefully with me. Luke 15. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pies that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Most well, sort of circumstances are different than ours, right? My guess is you probably haven't already blown your life's inheritance, hopefully. Uh, but we're all prodigals in the sense that whenever we look for satisfaction or meaning or purpose or life from something other than God, we're all prodigals. We all do that. And we all experience a sense of shame, either for doing it or the consequences that come from it. So, just listen to that. I'm going to read a portion of that verse again and. He's blown it. Now listen to the voice of shame in his head, okay? Maybe you've heard this voice before. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So here's the deal. When we're thinking about shame, the first thing we need to learn from this is we need to recognize the sinister voice of shame. Recognize the sinister voice. And the reason I say sinister is because think about it. The whole aim and goal of shame is to destroy you, is to keep you isolated from God, isolated from others, to make you forget what's true about God and what's true about you. So let's take a second and just distinguish for a second between guilt and shame. Because the two are, are pretty close, you know, in, in the way we feel them, so we need to understand the difference. Guilt is, I did something bad, okay? Shame is, I am bad. You hear the difference? Guilt is about the action, the behavior. Okay? But shame is about you. It's about the person. And so we need to know and recognize that the Holy Spirit, He convicts us of sin, and that means He points out to us sin, specific things in our lives, things that we've done wrong. But it's for the purpose of warning us. It's for the purpose of bringing us back to God. But see, the Holy Spirit never shames us. Shame is the sinister voice of a much darker, a dark spiritual enemy. But I think it's harder to recognize shame than you might think. Sometimes it's just a feeling. It's just sort of a feeling that washes over you and then it starts affecting you in the way you're relating to God and to others. It's that feeling you feel when you, you do something stupid and think, I better not tell anyone else about this. It's that feeling you feel when you feel like you're a fraud. If anyone really knew me, would they even hang out with me? It's that feeling of being afraid to look stupid, being afraid to show weakness, being afraid to ask for help. Being afraid to not know, not look like I know what I'm doing. You know, many times we can't even put it into words, but it just leaves us with this kind of isolated depression. And I 
think some of us even think, maybe from your church background, maybe you even think this is kind of how you're supposed to feel before God. Like, if you were to pray and you don't feel this, maybe something's wrong with you. If you've heard so many times that God is displeased with you, that you think you've made the jump from that to, oh, so God is disappointed with me when I sin. So shouldn't I be disappointed in myself? So it just feels almost like the right thing. But is it? Because listen to what shame says about you. Okay? Shame says about you, you're not enough. You failed. You, you're messed up. Who do you think you are? Listen to what shame says about others when it whispers to you. It says they won't understand. They'll see you as weak. They'll judge you. They'll withdraw. Listen to what shame says about God. He's disappointed with you. He's distant. He doesn't understand. He expects too much. He's counting it all against you and holding it against you. He'll never accept you. You see what shame says? When I was in high school, um, I, um, like I mentioned my high school girlfriend before, uh, I got too physically involved with, um, with my girlfriend. And uh, we ended up breaking off the relationship. But I just I felt terrible about what we had done. And um, at that moment, shame was telling me, the saying, you're dirty. You know, you're damaged goods. You failed. And see, I didn't talk to my friends about it. And I certainly wasn't going to talk to my pastor about it. Because shame was telling me about others. It was saying, don't tell others. Don't be disappointed. And I felt like there was this huge wall between God and me. Right? I felt really separated from him. And shame was telling me about God. He's disappointed. He's distant. He's holding it against you. He can't use you now. Those are all the things I was hearing. So basically what shame had done, you see, is shame would come in and cut me off from God and from others. So, I don't know what it is for you. We all feel shame for different things. There's lots of different things. Some are serious than others, right? I bet some of you, you know, maybe like me, you wanted to start off the semester, you came off a break, you wanted to start the semester reading your Bible, we've been talking about that a lot at the crossing, and maybe you started out the year well, but just having a tough time being consistent, and now you're feeling bad about it. Or maybe you're having that time, like you're sitting down and trying to read your Bible and trying to pray, but it just feels like, I don't feel God. Like, why don't I feel Him the way I think I'm supposed to? Or the way other people, it seems like they do. What's wrong with me? Or maybe you're thinking back of your break, and breaks are tough. I mean, when you're away from your Christian community, I mean, we all we make dumb mistakes when we're over breaks, okay? Maybe it's a bad choice you made over the break. Maybe it's just, you just look around and you just feel like you don't measure up, you know? I'm not as smart as they are. I don't look as pretty as they do. I don't have their resume. I don't have their likability, all that. What's wrong with you? And some of us even feel intense, more intense shame because of things that have been done against us, right? Some of you have been through physical abuse. Some of you have been through sexual abuse. Okay, and so shame is really intense in your life. So what do we do? Well, here's the thing. is Ever since the beginning, we've been trying to solve our shame problem in the wrong way. Okay? Think back to the very beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve, what did they do when they failed? Well, first, they made these pig leaves, okay? To cover their nakedness. Now it's just a way of saying they were trying to cover up. And so we do the same thing. Oftentimes to try to deal with our shame, we put on masks, right? We put on masks of, well, maybe if I just look like I have it all together. If I'm the smartest person in the room. If I'm a religious person. 
if I'm the always busy person, right? I can just get my act together or at least look like I do, I won't feel so much shame. I'll ask you, what are the masks that you tend to wear to deal with your shame? Whatever they are, putting on those masks, just trying to pile on success or whatever it is on top of our shame, it never works, okay? It never works. It, it always comes out. So, The Kite Runner was a novel and a, uh, and a movie. Some of you may have seen the movie or read the book. Uh, it's about a boy named Amir, okay? And one day, Amir's life took this really tragic turn when he walked up to an alley and he saw his friend Hassan, one of his closest friends, I think, being raped, okay, by this bully named Asa. And so Amir wanted to help his friend, but he didn't. He just kind of timidly stood back and watched it all happen. Um, he pretended to know nothing about it later. And so the shame of this just affected him all his life. So here's what Amir says at one point in the novel. He says, I became what I am today at the age of 12 on a frigid overcast day in the winter of 1975. I remember the precise moment, crouching behind a crumbling mud wall, peeking into the alley near the frozen creek. That was a long time ago. But it's wrong what they say about the past, I've learned, about how you can bury it, because the past claws its way out. Looking back now, I realize I have been peeking into that deserted alley for the last 26 years. So your sense of shame may not come from something that traumatic, and mine doesn't either, but Amir's conclusion is certainly true. No matter how we try to bury our shame, shame's always gonna find its way out. It's always gonna claw its way out into our lives. And the masks don't work. So how about the part of the sun? So what, so what began to break the power of shame in this life, it wasn't masks, okay? But it was that phrase we read earlier. It said, he came to himself. And he remembered what his father was like. All right, how good and generous his father was. Let's read, read on in the story. Luke 15. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So after we realize that, that the voice of shame is sinister in our lives, the second thing we need to learn is that we need to remember the prodigal love of the father. Okay? So this story is obviously called the story of the prodigal son, for those of you who've heard, who heard it before. So but the word prodigal is interesting because the word prodigal just means reckless and lavish. Alright? So yes, what the son did was horrible. I mean, it was prodigal in the sense of he went out and lived a reckless, lavish life. And in the process of doing that, he completely disrespected his father. He basically just gave his father the middle finger and said, Dad, I hope you die. I don't care about you. I just want your money and let me live. Okay? So he completely disrespected his dad. And that's kind of the point, though, is that you and I are never going to do anything to God or to someone else worse than what this son did to his father. Okay? So keep that in mind for a moment. So there's nothing you can tell me that you've done that would surprise me or that would disqualify you from what we're about to say. 
right? But here's the deal. Because when you read this story, yeah, you're a little bit surprised about the, what the son does, but what really sticks out, I think what's really shocking is the, the love of the father, right? And so that's why Tim Keller in his book, The Prodigal God, he named it that, because God is prodigal. This father is prodigal in the sense that what's amazing is the lavishness of his love, the recklessness of his love. So just think for a second. Try to put yourself in that scene for just a moment, okay? Maybe you can imagine you're that son and our daughter walking back home, okay? You can barely see the house over the hill, okay? And here's what it says. It says that the father was looking for him and, and longing for him. Okay, that means the father was pursuing him. He even ran out. He did what was like completely disrespectful in that time. He lifted up his robes and ran out to the sun. Okay? That would be like, imagine like a king of England or someone doing that, like, you know, running in the street. You just don't do that. And they didn't do that back then either. But that was the point. It was lavish, reckless love. He was pursuing this son. And then it says he had compassion and love for him. The son didn't have to work his way back. He didn't have to stay at a distance. He didn't have to live in the servants' quarters for a while. Father went out to him, embraced him, kissed him. Then it says that the father delighted in him, even celebrated him. You know, we would expect that somebody has told me, right? Well, you better clean up your act, you know, before you come back here. You better get your act together. He doesn't do that at all. He calls the servants, he throws a party, he says, quickly, bring the best robe. In other words, don't wait until he proves himself. Don't wait until he gets his act together. Don't wait until he makes amends. Just bring the best rope, bring the ring, bring the best food, let's eat, let's celebrate. He throws a party, his son is home. You see how his love is prodigal? It's shocking. And of course, that's a picture of what Christ has done for us. Right? Because Christ pursued us. He didn't wait for us to come to him. He came to earth. He came to us. He became human. He has compassion. I mean, he understands, he gets it, our struggles, okay? He, he understands, he, he went through everything we do. He was tempted in every way. He just didn't choose to sin. I mean, he even knows what it's like to make mistakes. Okay? He knows what it's like to feel shame. Yeah, he didn't sin. But he knows what it's like to feel shame. His brothers didn't accept him. They shamed him. His hometown didn't accept him. They shamed him. And then, of course, the blow up to the cross. People are slandering him and mocking him. And he goes to the cross. And he's crucified like a capital offense criminal. On a cross, naked. He was rejected. Why? So that we could be received. So that you and I could be received. That's why Hebrews 12, 2 says this about Jesus. It says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So yes, he experienced shame. The shame of the cross. But what's so awesome is that when Jesus experienced that shame... He scorned it. What that means is he hated it. He ignored it. Why? He didn't let it affect him. He didn't let, him, let that turn him back to the cross. Why? Because he looked ahead and he saw the joy set before him. And what that means is he was going to bring us to him. And that made him endure the cross. Here's the thing. See, the power of shame grows in the dark of isolation. But the power of shame is broken in the light of his prodigal love. So when you feel, you're starting to feel that shame, don't run from God. Run to God. Or when you're tempted to put on that mask, just don't work. Take off your mask. 
It's only when we take off our mask that we can feel the feeling, the warmth of God's love on our face, on our true self. And here's the deal. Okay, this isn't the thing you realize once. This is something you have to keep coming back to over and over again, okay? So you, you may, you'll realize it once, but, but you'll hear that voice again whispering to you, bringing up those memories, bringing up those things again. Okay, and when you do, you've got to bring Scripture to it, okay? You've got to take Scripture-specific passages and apply them to it. I'm going to give you a few. Okay, Colossians 1, 21 and 22. This one says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. And so you see what, this is a, one of those great work pictures. And this is one of those things that when you have one of those worst kind of shame moments or shame sins, you just bring this passage to it and you just pound it with it, okay? You look at it and you say, yeah, I once was alienated from you, God. I once was an enemy, right? But now Christ has reconciled you. That means you're brought back. You're in the family. How? By Christ's physical body through death. And now when he looks at you, he sees you as holy. That means perfect. Without blemish. You can't see a spot in you. Free from accusation. When you hear those accusations, that's a really good promise. Remember, that's not God talking to you. Okay, that's that shame. That's that sinister enemy. You're free from accusation now. That means when you stand before God and you pray, you've taken your sin to Him, you belong to Him, you're child. You're free from accusation. Or how about this one, Romans 4, 7 through 8. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. That's a really powerful one, okay? So whatever that thing is in your mind, God's saying here, I will never count it against you. I'll never hold it against you. Or just take this verse from, from the uh, parable of the prodigal son here. And put yourself in it. But while he was still a long way off, and this is you, while I'm still a long way off, I barely turned to come back. God sees you and feels, feels compassion on you, runs to you, throws his arms around you, and kisses you. It's really powerful. So what do you feel shame about? So whatever that is, here's what I would say to you. You need to take that to God in prayer. You just need to be completely, brutally honest with God. Pour out your heart to Him. And then take these passages and meditate on them and pray about them until God starts to warm your heart and show you that they're true. Okay? Of how He thinks and feels about you. You know, maybe you need to actually write down the things. I've seen this be helpful for people. It's been helpful for me too. Write down the things and actually burn them. Okay? Like get a match up and burn them. Or maybe you write them down in your journal, and like the song we paid earlier, we sang earlier, Jesus paid all, you just write down across the page, paid in full, across it. Okay, you write, you write one of these verses across it, we've talked about. But whatever it takes to get you to, to believe, right, to kind of argue with your unbelief, and to say, yeah, that's what's true. That's how I need to relate to God. So... Just a quick aside on this. So I realize there's a whole other kind of shame that we're not even talking about tonight. And that's the kind of shame that comes on us when we follow Christ, when we're attempting to follow Christ in a world that doesn't believe. Okay? So this is the kind of shame that you feel when you're the only one not being drunk. The kind of shame you feel when you're the only 
identify your purity in your relationship. Kind of shameful when you're in a class and the professor's poking holes in Christianity, right? And you feel like, gosh, I really hope you know no one says I'm a Christian here. I, I hate to be known for that right now, right? We all experience that kind of shame too, okay? But the reason I bring it up is because I think at the core, though, that the solution is the same. I think the way we get the strength to keep following Christ, even when we feel that shame when people are shaming us, is by continuing to come back to the love, the pride of the love of God. Okay? So in other words, I can remember, God loves me like this. God has reckless, lavish love for me. It starts not to matter so much what other people think. And all of a sudden, you start getting the strength, the more you remember that, to make those hard choices, to follow Christ when it's tough, to follow Christ even when other people are heaping shame on you. Okay? It's the same solution. Okay, but here's the deal. Going back to my story about my girlfriend in high school for a second. I knew, I think, most of this stuff at that point, and I still didn't feel the forgiveness of God. Um, I knew the things, I think I even had a verse or two memorized about God's forgiveness, but I still didn't feel it. It wasn't, it wasn't until I shared that with someone else that I started to actually experience the love of God. Because the thing is, we can't stay out of the clutches of shame on our own. We actually need each other to be able to do that. So here's the third thing, is we need to release the power of vulnerability. Release the power of vulnerability is the last thing. What I mean by that is dare to be vulnerable with other people. So here's what I did, okay? Like I said, I was too ashamed to talk to my friends. I didn't even want to talk to my pastor, okay? But somehow it hit me, like a ton of bricks one day, oh, I had met this other pastor at this other church I didn't go to, and he was a nice guy, so maybe I would just, like, call him and get an appointment and talk to him. So literally, I went to the church, it wasn't even my church, pastor I'd only talked to for like a few minutes, sat down in his office, and I just poured out my heart, uh, and just told him what I had done. And literally, it was one of those, like, you know, tears were kind of coming down my face, and ugly cry face, and all that, and he's just sitting there and just listening, you know, and I'm pouring out my heart, and, um, and he just looks at me and says, God forgives you. God accepts you. There's nothing against you. And finally, the weight came off. Finally, I felt like I wasn't ashamed anymore. You see, even though I knew his promises, there was still something deep down in my heart that I was like, I still don't really know if I can trust what God is saying is true. It just feels like I've blown it too much. But see, when, when an actual person looked at me and told me that truth and knew what I had done, they knew fully, but looked at me and said, no, you're loved. You're forgiven. Finally, shame's power was broken in my life. That's why James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Right? There's power in confession. Not to everyone. I'm not saying go out and share your dark, darkest, deepest secrets with everyone. I'm saying what we all need is one or two people that we can be brutally and completely honest with. Where we don't have secrets. We're not hiding anything. Because remember, shame hides in the dark. Secrets feed shame. So we have to have one or two people that we're completely honest with. Okay? And they know everything about us. Or else shame will get us. And I just, I've just seen this happen so many times in my life. And, and how it helps people. Like I remember, it was, I think it was my junior year of college. I got a call late at night. It was like 1130 at night one night. And my best friend from college called and said, hey, Kermit, can you come up to my room? And he just, he was just broken. And he just started sharing. He's like, man, it was like 
I mean, this is a guy who was leading Bible studies, leading small groups. I mean, you would have thought this guy was like, you would have compared yourself to him to like, I let her up. He was just broken. He was like, I've been stopping by and watching, you know, movies at this porn cinema thing. Smooth theater, showing porn. I've been stopping by and doing that for months now. And it's just killing me. He was just broken and crying. We just pray together about it. And I'm not saying that those memories, those thoughts didn't go immediately, but it was the beginning of change for him. Like, he came out of, you know, out of the dark with that. The power of shame was broken, and he grew in his faith. Um, I remember one time I was giving a talk at Veritas a few years ago, and a student came up and said, I need to talk to you. And so we went outside. It was over by waters, and we went outside around the corner and sat kind of between some bushes where it couldn't be hidden. And he was just like, man, I just, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. I mean, no one knows. I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. I just, I can't even, I don't even feel like I can pray. I was like, yeah, I get it, man. I've been there. God loves you. He wants to forgive you. And he just sat there and he just cried and he just prayed for forgiveness. And the power of shame was broken in his life. Um, another student told me about all the Facebook messages and kind of sexting messages he'd been sending. He was broken. Um, while I was at the Pastor Veritas, two different girls came to me at different points and said, I've been abused, sexually abused in my past. And I felt like it was partly my fault. And they were literally being dominated by the sense of shame. It was constantly affecting their relationship with God. And the power of shame started to break in their life. And I'm not saying that to build myself up. What I'm saying is we all need people like that. We need to have conversations. It's bringing into the light that heals us. So here's what I urge you to do. You've got to have one or two relationships like that, okay? And maybe you need to start by talking to a staff person or talking to a pastor. Maybe that's a good place to start, okay? If you don't have those people quite yet in your life. But I would say joining a small group is a really good step towards starting at least to build those kind of friendships and starting to have maybe an older, more mature student that you can talk to, all right? All right, I'm going to conclude, conclude with this. So you may be you heard of Rembrandt, famous painter. He's a Dutch master, okay? So, so Rembrandt, two years before he died, 1667, he painted one of his final and best oil paintings, okay? It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And it depicts the moment of the prodigal son's return, okay? So there's this pastor named Henry Nouwen. And Henry Nouwen had a pretty jaded past. I mean, he had a lot of things that he really struggled with shame about, all right? And a lot of things that he just felt like completely disqualified him from being a pastor, things that he felt like disqualified him from even being a Christian. Didn't know he really had trouble experiencing God's love. Anyway, Henry Nowen saw this painting and ended up just spending hours in front of it, meditating on the story of the prodigal son, ended up writing a book about it because he found so much healing from the shame in his life from this, okay? So here's, here's what he said. So for most of my life, I have struggled to find God, to know God, to love God. I have tried so hard to follow the guidelines of the spiritual life, pray always, work for others, read the scriptures, and to avoid the many temptations to dissipate myself. I have failed many times, but always tried again, even when I was close to despair. Now I wonder whether I have sufficiently realized that during all this time, God has been trying to find me, to know me, and to love me. The question is not, how am I to find God, but how am I to let myself be found by Him? The question is not, how am I to know God, but how am I to let myself be known by God? And finally, the question is not, how am I to love God, but how am I to let myself be loved by God? 
God is looking into the distance from me, trying to find me, and longing to bring me home. So here's what we're going to do. The worship team can come back up. We're going to take a few moments. We're going to put that painting up on the screen, okay? I just want to lead us through a time of prayer for just a moment. They're going to play a little instrumental music for a minute. If you guys could get the lights in the back so we can see the pain. Father, the son has come home. He's kneeling before the father. He's burying his head in the father's chest. And you can see by the father's hands and expression, the father loves him. The father accepts him. So what is it that you feel shame about right now? Let's take some time right now to refuse that voice of shame. Let's remember the Father's prodigal love. Come to Him. We can be vulnerable with God because of that prodigal love. So let's just silently bring those things to Him and ask Him to help our unbelief, to help us believe in the prodigal love of God. And Lord, would you just help us right now experience that? Would you help us to feel what is true about you? Lord, if you don't in this moment, help us to believe it anyway. And help us to start pounding your promises into our heads and into our hearts. God, I pray that you would warm our hearts. And I pray that we would come to you in the silence this moment and think about your love, your acceptance of us. The acceptance that breaks the power of shame in our lives.